with his grandfather, his father, all the way down. And uh, I tell you, he's a little bit of everything. I mean, he can do carpentry work and build things. And even when you're sick and need a little healing, he can do a little bit of that. Hey, man, what you need? I just, I'm just, I'm thankful that he's in my household because I tell you, I feel good about it. <laughs> Anything you want to know or need something, just call Jews. <laughs> but you know, his brother loves the Lord. And he really, really teaches children, and, and I mean constantly, you know, about the word of the Lord. Everything that his father, his grandfather put in him, he continued. It just a, a flow right through. And we thank the Lord. This church is really blessed uh, because of him. I just remember when we was doing the um, uh, jail ministry. I mean, it's the same thing. It was just tired, getting off from work. Sometimes he set his alarm clock and get maybe 30 minutes to an hour whatever he jumps right up and we down to the jail ministry i mean constantly just working just sometimes have to remind him you know hey let's take a little break every once in a while but when it comes to the lord works he don't take breaks and i and i tell you it's it's a, a blessing to be able to uh, introduce him to psalms and, and a lot of you know and I just want to get everybody to stand right now and just thank the Lord for him. Amen. I thank him out every day for him. So I know we're going to be blessed. Amen. Because he, he brings it. I don't like to say more of a teacher than a preacher. Amen. Sometimes he do both. <laughs> so I don't know what you're in for. So let's, let's uh, uh, give him a hand praise. I'm going to do some song. All right. Walking. All right. All right. Thank you. Amen. Amen, church. Amen. Good to be here in the house of the Lord once again with the saints of God in the flesh to be able to see your, I was going to say smiling faces, but your beautiful eyes. Some of you, I can see your smiling faces right through those masks, but uh, it is good to be here in the house of the Lord with you nonetheless. Uh, it's a privilege and an honor for me to be able to stand before you on today. Uh, I don't know, uh, I, I almost thought he was talking about somebody else, but uh, that, uh, that, that beautiful welcome that he gave about me, I, I, um, I thank the Lord for everything that uh, he has blessed me to be able to do. Uh, for continuing to answer my prayers. And one of my prayers was, Lord, when you come to get me, I want to be on empty. I want my tank to be empty. I don't want to be going to heaven with a half tank of gas. I want to have nothing but fumes left and those to be on their way out the tank as well. And uh, God never fails to answer prayer. <laughs> he makes it possible for that to happen just about every day, every week. Uh, but God continues to give me strength, and I want to make sure that I am able to be used by him to his glory because he has done so much for me and more than anything that I can repay. Um, I give honor to God who is the head of my life. I thank the Lord for each one of you, uh, my family, 
my church family. We have some visitors here as well. We thank you for being here in our midst. We want to go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. We ask that you would bow your heads with me and pray along. Dear, kind, and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again, Lord, for allowing us to be here in the house of the Lord. We thank you for health and life and breath and strength. And Lord, you even blessed us this morning to get up in our right mind and have a mind to be able to be here in the house of the Lord together. Lord, on this Lord's day, we ask right now that you would bless the word as it goes forth, that it would accomplish that which you have purposed, that it would not return void, but accomplish everything, Lord God, that you have purposed, Lord God. We ask right now that you would touch the hearts of these, your people, Lord. We ask right now that you would help us all to not be mere hearers of your word only, but doers also, Lord. Help us to be encouraged in your word as we encourage one another. We thank you, Lord God, for those that played upon the instruments, those that sang with their voices, and those that lifted holy hands to you, Lord God, because you are worthy of glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated at this time. As I was praying and asking the Lord to give me a word to share with his people, one of the things that kind of stuck with me was in relationship to uh, one of the, uh, the last quarters that we have. I think it was the Sunday school quarter prior to the one we are on now, um, talking about being courageous, being courageous. And courage is not necessarily the absence of fear, but moving forward and doing what you need to do in spite of fear, uh, apprehension, in spite of having uh, setbacks and obstacles that might be before you. But today, I am going to look at the other side of that, which is the negative aspect of the same thing, and that is fear. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Walk in faith, not in fear. This time of year, um, we sometimes think about what it is that the angels told the shepherds who were out in the field, who were watching their flocks. He told them, fear not. We also find that also in the Old Testament that uh, we also know that, that, that God had to speak to his people and tell them to fear not. Be not afraid. Be you not dismayed, right? Uh, because they constantly found themselves being confronted with very difficult life situations. Is anybody familiar with that? It seems to be part of the human condition. Is that right? It doesn't matter what time or what epoch you live in, there will be some good times, there will be some bad times, but there will be some, sure enough, difficult times that you face, right? Dare I say, some of us might even use the word trials, and if it gets really bad, you might even use that word tribulations, right? I don't know that any of us have been uh, in a position where it is as bad as it can get, right? I think those days are ahead of us, and they might not be too far off ahead of us, but we need to nonetheless be aware that difficult times can come into life, each life. Some rain must fall, right? You're going to have some days of sun and some days of rain as well, right? And you may find yourself in a situation where you have to bring to memory the scripture that says weeping may endure for a night, but what comes in the morning? Joy. And some of us sometimes say, you know what, morning, hurry up and come because I need you right now, right? Because sometimes that night can be really long, can't it, right? 
It seemed like the night should only last about eight hours, but sometimes it act like it's about 12 or 16 hours, right? Going through that nighttime experience and wishing for the dawn to come, wishing for that weeping to cease, right? But we serve an everlasting Father who is gracious and merciful to us, and he knows exactly how long we need to be in the fire, doesn't he, right? He knows exactly how long it is that we need to stay in the fight, right, before he gives us some relief because he knows that we need to be in there long enough for us to strengthen our spiritual muscles, and that is our faith, right? You don't gain any faith by coming out of it just like that, right? You come out of it by going through it, not going around it, not going over it, not going under it, but going through it, right? You got to go through some things in this life, don't you, right? And you got to come out on the other side realizing that you didn't get yourself through this, but it was God who got you through it. Because when you look down and you saw those two footsteps there, them two sets of footprints, guess what? It wasn't you. It was him carrying you through to the other side of through. I didn't plan on saying all that, but sometimes the Spirit kind of tells me what I need to say when I'm standing up here before you and I try to, you know, be obedient. Anyway, uh, introduction. Fear, right? Not. Fear not. Fear can cause people to be paralyzed, hence the expression paralyzed with fear. If you've ever been driving down a road and it's pitch dark outside and you are driving, you may come upon a deer, right? And you barreling down a road with your headlights going and that deer is sitting there in the middle of the road looking at you, not moving. Hmm? And you would think to yourself, now, if I was that deer and I saw headlights speeding down the road at me, I'd get out the way. But that deer is paralyzed. That deer is in fear, right, and doesn't know what to do. So the best thing that it can think to do is just be still. Maybe I'll be all right. Based on my trips to the west side of the state and, and the number of deer that I see laying on the side of the road, that is not a good strategy, is it? That is, I'm sorry for Bambi, but that is not a good strategy, to be petrified and paralyzed in fear, and then you end up laying on the side of the road. And I don't mean alive, either taking a nap. I mean a dirt nap. That's not a good thing. But fear can cause people to be immobilized. It can cause them to be static. It can cause them to be unwilling to move forward. Right. Even when God says, I want you to go forward and you say, no, Lord, I'm not going in there. Right. Uh, it can cause you to uh, maybe be unwilling to obey commands. Right. The Lord can tell you something that he wants you to do. and You'd be like, no, I don't know if I do it that way. I don't know if uh, maybe we need to talk about this a little bit, Lord. Maybe I need to get a plan B and a plan C and a plan D just in case things don't work out according to plan A. Right. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe we need to think this out. I, I'll come back and, and, and get back with you tomorrow, Lord, right? Hmm? Or maybe next week sometime. I, I'm kind of busy tomorrow, too. Uh, but sometimes God tells you, I want you to move right now, right? Because he don't want you to have it all figured out. He wants you to what? He wants you to be obedient in faith and trust him, right, that he knows what it is that is best for you and that he's not going to steer you wrong. He's not going to have you standing out there in the street, right? With the headlights barreling down, talking about, just be still. You'll be all right. Now he's going to say, you better get up out of there, you dummy, and get out the way, right? Because you're about to kill yourself, standing in the middle of that street. That's not faith, is it? 
you can sit up here and say you got faith and go stand out there in the middle of 696 at rush hour if you want to, but all you are doing is putting God to the test, and God says don't put God to the test, right? Jesus said that when Satan was trying to tempt him in the wilderness, right? And Satan told him, well, you know, you can throw yourself off of this cliff here, and the word of God says the angels will bear you up. What did he say? The word of God says thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test, right? Sometimes we do things that we know good and well we don't have no business doing. Things that not only has the word of God told us not to do, our parents have told us, our sisters and our brothers, our uncles, our aunties, our cousins even have told us, and some of them the younger cousins, right? Said, don't do it. That's not a good idea, right? But we go out there and do it anyway, right? We go out there and do it anyway because we say, I'm going to step out on faith. I'm going to step out on faith. I'm going to shut up all these naysayers, all these folks. Ye of, oh, ye of little faith. All of you. Hmm? I'm going to show you about faith, right? I'm going to go ahead and marry this man. I'm going to go ahead and buy this car. I'm going to go ahead and buy this house that I know I can't afford, but I'm going to buy it anyway, right? Hmm? I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to step out on faith, and I'm going to do it anyway. And you know good and well, that's not what you should be doing. And you want to try to hide behind faith. That's not faith, is it? Because your faith is only as good as the object that you place it in, right? Hmm? Your faith is only as good as the object that you place it in, right? Now, you can go sit in a two-legged chair if you want to but you're going to fall, aren't you? I'd be kind of skeptical about sitting in a three-legged stool, right? If there was an option to sit in a four-legged stool, I think I'm going to check the one out with the four legs because I think that one will hold me up a little better, right? But your faith is only as good as the object that you place it in. And if you put your faith in anything else besides God, I'm going to consider or ask you to consider to rethink that, just like the deer that stands out there in the middle of the street when the car is coming with the, uh, the high beams going, all, you know, about to run them over, right? I would ask you to reconsider that. Some people are unwilling to obey commands. For instance, like the, uh, the firefighter that tells the man that's about to burn up in the building, right, to jump out the window, right? into the what the net right you'll be all right i got you right you'll be fine and they're like no no this is too high but wait a minute you got fire behind you in a room full of smoke and the only way you can breathe is sticking your head out the window how long can you keep that up before you have to make a choice but some people are so petrified and overcome with fear that they cannot realize that the imminent danger behind them is worse than the possible danger of jumping out of the window. But it takes some faith, doesn't it? It don't take no faith to sit there and burn up in a fire, does it? Huh? But it takes some faith to jump when somebody tells you, I got you, right? I got you. You'll be all right. Just jump. And you'll land safely in the net and we'll get you some medical care, right? It might if they don't listen, though, what can happen? They can end up dying as a result of their disobedience 
and fear. Is that right? How about that lifeguard that says, just relax, I got you. Hmm? Right? To a person who's drowning, right? Huh? This disobedience uh, and fear that this person has may not only cause their own death, but the death of the lifeguard also, which is why sometimes the lifeguard has to be like, pop, knock them out, right? Because I can revive you once I get you and me back, right? But I can't get you back if you fighting me the whole time, right? So I'm going to have to knock you out, right? Ain't that sad when God's got to knock you out just to get you to listen to what it is he says to do, huh? Because you won't be obedient, because you are afraid, he has to knock you out, huh? Now, what does that mean? Sometimes you may have to end up in the hospital, laying in a hospital bed, a place you never thought you would have to be, right? Maybe that good job that you have that has you working seven days a week, right? Including Sunday, I said seven, right? Maybe you end up getting laid off or fired, hmm? and you don't have a job now. And now you got to rely on God, don't you, right? Because you can't work on, you can't rely on that seven day a week job no more, right? Hmm? Knowing good and well that the commandments, 10 commandments, one of them, one of them says, one of them, hmm? I think it's number four. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, right? Now this ain't no message to sit up here and condemn folks that work on Sunday. Because if I did, I might have to condemn myself. But fortunately, God has blessed me to work in the healthcare industry, which is 24-7, but right now God has fixed it where I don't have to work on Sundays. And that's, that's the blessing from God, and I thank the Lord for that. Because it could be some folks that would raise a stink about me never working on Sunday, but guess what? They prefer to work on Sunday, so they get to work on Sunday. I, I'm sorry, but I'm not working Sunday, and God has honored that, right? But we are supposed to honor the Sabbath day, Keep it holy, right? And that just means you take that day to rest and don't rely on that day for your sustenance. Just trust God. Do what God said. Be obedient. Do what God said, right? He already said he wants you to work six days a week. How many days you need, right? Give that seventh day up to the Lord and keep it holy and let that be about God and about family. And don't spend time trying to make a whole bunch of money on that day. Again, this is not about that, but that's just a little side thing. You can write it down. You can remember it if you want to. That's all right. So some people are unwilling to lay claim to what is rightfully theirs, even if something is promised to them by God himself. God has said, now he didn't say, he is, we are at a point now where, you know, we talked about, well, he didn't tell you to do that, so why are you doing it? Now he is telling you to do something that is a blessing for you, but you have failed to do what he said to do in obedience and in faith and you have missed out on a blessing. Why? Because you started thinking with your own unsanctified common sense, right? Huh? And said, you know what? That ain't for me. That's too big for me. I can't, I can't, I can't do that. That's, that's not for me. That must be for someone else. I can't handle that, right? I, I, I must be mishearing things from the Lord, right? God does not tell his people to think small. He doesn't. He want, he's a big God, right? And he can bless you, what, exceedingly and abundantly above all that you can ask or 
think, right? That means you can't ask for nothing that's too big for God, and you can't even conjure it up in your mind. Something that's too big for God to be able to do for you, right? And if it's going to bring glory and honor to God, and it is going to bless others, I can't think of a reason why God would not want to bless you with that thing, right? Is that right? So sometimes we shortchange ourselves and put us, ourselves in a position where we are thinking too small. And we are thinking that, you know what, that's not for me. That must be for someone else. And we miss out on the blessing that God has for us because we don't ask. And what does James say? You have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. You ask with the wrong motives, right? But if you ask with the right motives, right? To bring glory and honor to God, to help others, right? I can't think of a reason why God would not want to bless you with that thing unless he wants to bless you with something better. And sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says the thing that we hate to hear the most, wait, it ain't time, right? It's not now, it's in my time. Time don't matter to me, right? This is God we're talking about because one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day he made time for us not for himself so it may not happen when we want to but it will happen when he wants it to and it'll be right on time if you don't believe me try him and see i think some of you may have already so we may forfeit that thing it might be a job it might be a home it might be a car it might be personal autonomy, uh, God-given rights, freedom even, right? These are things that God has given to us, and if we are willing to just willy-nilly give them up, right, and not fight for those things, we may find ourselves in a situation much like those Egyptians or the uh, Israelites who were in Egypt. Uh, when we give those things up and are willing to just give them up, we exchange them for bondage for slavery, for servitude, serfdom, right? In other words, thinking like the Israelites that things were not so bad in Egypt, right? Hmm? They weren't so bad in Egypt. Maybe we should go back where they had the garlic and the, the leeks, right? Uh, they had all the food and everything. Even though we were told we had to make bricks without straw, that wasn't so bad. Hmm? Even though we had some hard taskmasters, right? It wasn't so bad. At least we wasn't out here in the desert eating quail and manna and drinking from this rock, right? But that wasn't all that God had in store for them, right? He had them going through that wilderness experience to prepare them for the blessing that lied ahead, and it was known as the promised land. And then God carried them through all of that. We're talking about the Red Sea. First, he delivered them from Egypt, right? And he had, had the Egyptians at the point where Pharaoh said, get out of here, I don't want you here no more, right? Get out, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, get out of here, let my people go, and they were gone. Parted the Red Sea across on dry land, right? Gave them water, gave them manna from heaven, gave them quail, right? Led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, right? Had them... Marching, marching through, marching through, right? Going through various trials and things out there in the wilderness and brought them to the edge of the wilderness. And the first thing they said was, 
They didn't say, glory, hallelujah, we're here, finally. huh? Let's go in and seize the land like the Lord said. They didn't do that, did they? They said, maybe, I don't know. Let's send some spies in there, right? Just kind of surveillance a little. Kind of look around and just, you know, kind of see what's going on. Uh, because we may not be able to do this. False premise already, right? They said we would not be able to do this. No. Uh, what you don't realize is that you didn't do none of this up to this point. You failed to realize that it wasn't you, it wasn't Moses, it was me, the Lord, that brought you to this point. Is that right? Huh? So now you want to use your unsanctified logic again, right? Your reason, your common sense, right? And say maybe we should send about 12 spies into the land and let them look around and tell us whether we can just walk in like God said and take it over. Hmm? Does that sound like faith? That's not faith, is it? You don't have to hope for something that you have in your hand, do you? If you got it in your hand, then what you hoping for, right? You don't have to wish for something that you already have, right? You just have to take it. Just seize it, right? Just use it. It's yours, right? But God wanted them to go into the land at the right time, in the right way, right? With the right attitude, believing that it was not them that was going to cause them to be victorious, but that it was going to be God that was going to seal the deal, right? And they could have had it, but what happened? You had, they lost out, didn't they? They missed out on the opportunity, and the blessing that was supposed to be theirs, I'm talking about all of them, became the blessing of their children. And they had to wander around. Took 40 days to go around and look around. They had to spend 40 years in the wilderness, and they all died. Anybody who was under the age of 20, they were the ones who were able to go into the promised land. Those over 20, they end up dying in the wilderness and failed to receive the promise. Why? Because of unbelief. Because they did not believe God. They did not trust God. They had no hope in God. They had no faith in God. And it's the same thing today, right? Because we serve a God who is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. He changes not. He is immutable, just like his word is immutable. It does not change. No matter how many people want to change it, they want to add a dot, and they want to add a tittle, and they want to add a comma. They want to add a word here and take this word out because they don't like it. Well, I think the word of God itself says that heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. Can we get an amen on that? Hmm? Aren't you glad about it? Because we live in a world now where there are so many things that are unstable, right? They change the rules all the time. They move the goalposts all the time, right? It used to be this, but now it's that, right? But we need something that we can take to the bank, something that is actually set in stone, something that will not change, right? We need something objective that we can look at from day to day and say, you know what? That's the way it's always been, and that's the way it's always going to be. God's word is going to stand the test of time. People's opinions, they change, right? Man, he changes, right? His opinions about things, they change, right? The way we do this, that changes, right? But the way God does things, it never changes. And we need to get used to that, especially if we are citizens of the kingdom, which is an everlasting and eternal kingdom that has no end, right? What are we doing here if we're not preparing for the kingdom? We need to practice, don't we? My purpose is not to be dismissive about people's fears, but to instead encourage people not to walk in fear, right? 
not to walk in fear, but instead walk in faith. And that faith should be in God. That faith should be in God and not anything else. Nothing else. Our faith is only as good as the object that we place it in. And that object should be God. It should be God, his word. It should be in Jesus, right? That is where our faith should be. Let's see if we can at least downgrade our fears to concern. We'll just come down, all right? We won't call them fears anymore, right? Don't be afraid. Well, you can be concerned about things without being afraid, right? There are things in life that are concerning, but you need to know what to do with that concern, and that is what? Turn it over to God. Put it in his hands, right? Leave it in his hands and don't say, Lord, I got it from here. Let me take that, right? That's like that front wheel, that, that front driver, that person in the, in, the driver, in the driver's seat, and then you got the person sitting over there in the passenger, and they grab the wheel and jerk it, right? Anybody ever had that experience? Huh? Were you driving? I know some of you teenagers probably had that experience. You know, about 15, 16 years old, right? And mom and dad are sitting there, and you both about to die, so they grab... <laughs> They grab the steering wheel, right, and be like, "Uh, I think our lesson is done for today, right? We'll come back and try it tomorrow or next week, or or maybe I'll pay somebody, (laughs) right? Somebody with insurance, good insurance or whatever, right? (laughs) But we don't want to do that with the Lord because the Lord is in the driver's seat, right? He should be in the driver's seat, and we should not be sitting up there in the front seat talking about, Lord, I think we need to go over there, and you grab the wheel and jerk it. Not that you would be able to, right? But you would try, wouldn't you, right? A lot of us, though, we like to treat the Lord like he is the spare tire, and we put him in the back, in the trunk, under the mat, out of the way, right? And when do we get him out? When we have a flat tire. Huh? When we hit a bad patch of road, right? Huh? When we have a little disruption to our daily plan, that's when we decide to get him out. And then once he gets us to the filling station where we can get the tire fixed, what do we do with him? We put him back in the back seat, right? Under the mat, right? Out of sight, out of mind, until what? The next time we get a flat tire. Where is the Lord supposed to be? He's supposed to be in the driver's seat, not in the trunk, under the mat, out of sight. He's supposed to be right there next to you. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be our what? Our paracletus, right? One who walks with us, right? And we're not leading him by the hand. He's leading us by the hand. Is that right? That's the way it's supposed to be. But sometimes we get it twisted, don't we? We get it twisted about how this thing is supposed to work because we didn't watch Aladdin too many times and we think that he is like the genie and we rub him three times, and then out comes three wishes, right? Hmm? Except with God, you get a whole bunch of wishes, not just three, right? But that's not what he's all about, is it? That is not the way that God has this set up. So let's see if we can get a little bit closer down to this downgrade from fear to concern, and then continue to practice to walk in faith. So the Old Testament and the New Testament scripture, the word of God, it encourages the people of God to fear not. In my study uh, of this particular phrase, I saw it occur many times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And uh, God spoke these words to his people 
uh, about putting their belief and their trust and their hope, that is their faith, in him and not in anything else, and certainly not in riches or in man. I jotted down a few here, those of you who are writing, uh, Proverbs chapter 11, 28, Psalms 62, 10, Psalms 118 and 8, Psalms 146 and 3, Jeremiah 7 and 17 and 7, Proverbs 29 and 25, and Psalms 56 and 11. And it basically tells us, and all those that, for instance, one of the ones I like, uh, 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 he, a fool has put his, his trust in man, right? Uh, a fool has put his trust in princes, right? That is those that are leaders over a, a nation, for instance, right? That happy is the person who puts his trust in the Lord, right? Do you want to be happy today? I hope you want to be happy and we want to make sure that you're happy, but more importantly, we want to make sure that you are blessed, right? That you are one who is in the will of God and that you are doing what it is that God would have you to do so speak uh, uh so uh he, he spoke to uh, the children of israel who were brought out of the land of egypt from bondage during the exodus he told them as we went through how it is that he he wanted them to not be afraid he wanted to to lead them but he wanted them to come in faith he didn't want to have to drag them into the promised land he wanted them to walk into the promised land by faith and do what it is he said and then Behold the salvation of the Lord, right? Does that sound familiar? Hmm? Weren't they like standing at the Red Sea? They had Pharaoh behind them and they had the Red Sea in front of them. And, and, and what happened? He said, what is that you got in your hand? That's a staff. Okay. All right. Put that staff down and, and behold, that is, look at, see it with your own eyes, what? The salvation of the Lord. And he did it in a miraculous way, didn't he? Right? He didn't hit that ground and then a whole bunch of boats just appeared out of nowhere and they just got in the boats and they went across. No, he parted the Red Sea, and they didn't walk across on mud, but on dry land. Their, 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 their sandals didn't even get stuck in the mud, because there was no mud. He spread the sea, and then a wind came through and dried it up, and they walked on dry land. And then they got a chance to turn around and see the judgment of the Lord fall upon their enemies and decimated them and destroyed them. Now, we can sit up here today and act like, well, if that had been me, I, I, I'd be a believer for life. Ain't no way in the world I'd have been standing over there talking about, uh, you know, we, we don't want to go. We don't want to do this. Is this all we got is bread and, you know, and, and some manna and some, some water and, and some quail? I'm getting tired of eating this, this, this three-piece uh, chicken dinner all the time, right? These biscuits ain't even good. Huh? They was complaining, complaining. We can't even save it till tomorrow because it'll make it all rotten and everything. Well, why, was he, why did he do that? Why did he say that we don't want, I don't want you to save any for tomorrow? Huh? Because you got some capitalists that's always in a group that look at it and say, you know what? Somebody going to get hungry tonight. And if I keep this, I might be able to make a little money. I might be able to make a trade, right? Hmm? Or maybe they'll wake up in the morning and their stomach will be growling. They want some breakfast or something like that. And, and maybe the quail won't have come in by then. They just can't wait. And they'll say, you know what? I'll give you this if you give me a little bit of that that you had left over from last night. Huh? That's one explanation. But the most important explanation is this. God wanted them to trust him for their what? 
daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? Huh? Isn't that the Lord's prayer? What does that mean? That means that we are relying on the Lord God to supply our needs according to his riches and glory on a daily basis. We're not storing up none for tomorrow so that tomorrow we don't have to trust him. And next week we don't have to trust him. I got a million dollars saved up. I'm ready for retirement. I ain't got to. Re I don't have to trust the Lord. For My barns are built. And then he will come to you that night and say, thou fool, thy soul is required of you this night. Now who is going to eat all this stuff that you done stored up in your barns? Who is going to eat it now? Isn't that the word? Let's not get caught in that trick bag. All right. We need to trust the Lord every single day for our daily bread. God reminded not only the children of Israel, but he reminded the patriarchs, the matriarchs, the children of Israel as they came through the land of Egypt, right? And God reminds us as well. This time of year causes us to think of the phrase, fear not, because these words were, as I said, spoken by the, the angel, right? The angel of the Lord who spoke to the shepherds who were in the field where they were watching their flocks by night. Luke 2, chapter 8, or, verse two, uh, or chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, from the uh, New American Standard Bible says, In the same region there were some shepherds standing out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And you imagine that. You're outside, it's pitch dark, nothing but the, the starlight out there. You're out there watching the sheep by night because you think that something is going to happen to them, possibly a wolf, right, a coyote, right, uh, a lion, a tiger, I don't know, a bear, maybe, who knows, right, might come and try to do something to your sheep. So you're out there instead of sleeping, you're watching them by night, and then all of the sudden, everything lights up. Hmm? And not only does it light up, but now you are seeing angelic beings that are standing before you all of a sudden. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were what? Terribly afraid. They weren't just a little scared. They was, they was terribly frightened, right? These people were terrified by what they saw, and as a result, what did the angel have to say? But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Now, when he tells you, not to be afraid. He don't want to just tell you, don't be afraid. Well, then what am I supposed to do then? I'm, I, that's the right response to this, right? I'm supposed to be afraid. Wouldn't anybody be afraid if they saw that? You have to replace it with something else in as an alternative, right? So what does he do? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. So don't what? Be afraid. But what? I want you to be joyful, and not just joyful, but greatly joyful, which will be for all people, right? Not just you that I appear to, but for all people. What is he talking about? All the Jews? All, all means all, don't it? Doesn't that mean from every nation and every tribe, right, under heaven? Doesn't that mean everybody, right? This is good news that we are giving to you, and this 
good news far surpasses any feelings of fright or terror or fear that you have, right? What I am about to tell you is so awesome that it makes our appearance pale in comparison. You should not be afraid of us, right? Huh? You need to take all that energy you got, that awe that you have, and focus on, on this good news that we are about to share, right? And what is the good news? I'm sure they said, all right, we're not afraid. Now they're rubbing their hands together like, tell us, tell us, tell us. No, they was probably still shaking in their boots, right? Knees was probably still knocking, right? But he said, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, who don't like a Savior? Hmm? Huh? A Savior, that sounds like a good news. That sounds like a whole bunch of good news. That sounds like the gospel message, because that's what the gospel message is. It is the good news of Christ. The fact that now you don't have to die for your own sins. You do not have to suffer the consequences, the penalty for your own sins. Someone else has already paid it for you. Hmm? It seems to me like you'd be happy about that. Uh, if you got a call from the IRS that you owe $50,000 to, plus penalties every day, and they told you somebody paid off your taxes for you, you'd be like, oh, okay, thanks, click. Hmm? If somebody said, you know, that $250,000 house, you, oh, you keep sending these payments, but it's already been paid off. Hmm? Would you be happy about that? Huh? I would be happy about that. I'd be totally grateful. I'd want to know who, who, who did it, right? Who did this great thing for me? Because I want to go back and do what? I want to thank them for what it is and find out, is there some strings attached? What do I have to do, right? And what if they told you, nothing, it's already bought and paid for. Hmm? It don't cost you nothing but your life, right? Hmm? That's all. It's already bought and paid for. Salvation has already been paid for, but it will cost you your life. Why? Because it was your life that was purchased, right? It was your life that God purchased with the precious blood of his only begotten son. And now your reasonable service is to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Why? Because as I said, that is the very least that you should do. That's your reasonable service. That's no more than what should be asked of you, right? In eternal gratitude and gratefulness for what it is that God has done for you. And I use these earthly examples just as an example, but they don't even come close to what it is that God has done for you in the saving of your soul. Do you know how long eternity is? Can you put a number on eternity? Hmm? Do you know eternity to me means there's no clocks on the wall? I don't need this watch anymore, right? I don't have to worry about the sun coming up or going down because it's always going to be daytime. And we won't even need the sun because God is going to light everything, right? And guess what you will do as children of God? You will reflect the light of God, right? Huh? And be able to lighten up some things as well. Huh? Because you will be children of God. That's something to look forward to. 
And that is something that we need to be thankful for. And the redeemed of the Lord should say so. They should say something, right? They should say something. I'm glad we don't have no rocks in here. Because they would be crying out. Right? And this angel that appeared told them, don't be afraid. Because born for you, made it personal, is a savior. Not just for you, but for all mankind. And his name is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. Just in case you get mistaken about who it is, you need to go back and think. Let me tell you who he is. Jesus Christ the Lord. The son of the living God. Right? The first begotten of the dead. Huh? The bright and morning star, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the Rose of Sharon, the Father of Eternity. Hmm? Everlasting. Prince of Peace. Huh? Wonderful Counselor. Almighty God. That's who he is. And who wouldn't want to serve a God like that? Faith. And freedom, not fear and judgment. Why didn't God send his son to die for our sins, past, present, and future? Was it so we could continue to live in fear of death and judgment? No, of course not. That's not why he did it. God does not want us to shrink back in fear, according to Hebrews 10, 38, and 39. Nor does he want us to be enslaved by it because of our inability to live up to his perfect standard. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. We have no room for boasting. So if not for freedom, then what was the purpose of God sending his only begotten son? Well, John tells us in a familiar passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. But sometimes we stop there, and we need to move on, don't we? For God did not send his son into the world to judge or to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has already been judged because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. This is the judgment. This is what causes people to get judged right here. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. That's why. And people that like to do evil deeds, they like to do it in the dark, don't they? Right? Hmm? I oftentimes bring up the fact that there are those that act like moths. Right? When the light comes on, they come to the light. Right? Almost sometimes to their own peril. Because some of you people like to get them zapper lights. That's cruel and unusual. And you hear them zip, 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 zip. Poor little moth. Just trying to come to the light. Huh? If he had a friend, he'd say, don't walk into the light. Don't go to the light. It'll be the last thing you ever did. See this wing? It's all burnt up and crispy. I got too close. But we need to walk towards the light. Like the moth flies to the light, we need to. But instead, we got some people that act like them cockroaches. What happens when you turn the lights on? Huh? They scatter and they try to get where? Back into the darkness, right? Where they came, right? Because they don't want you to know 
that they're there or where they are, right? Huh? Because they're up to no good. That's why. They are up to no good, right? They're up here procreating and making the thing worse, right? The whole house be infested, right? They don't want you to see them. They're in the dark procreating. Terrible. Terrible, terrible. But that's how some people are, too. They will run to the darkness. Paul also tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery, right? Or bondage, right? So don't worry about a thing. Every little thing is going to be all right. The great Bob Marley. Hmm? <laughs> right? That was his advice. That was his advice. Don't worry. Be happy. Right? He seemed to be somewhat of a student of the Epicurean philosophy in, that, in his day. It just kind of let uh, things kind of go. And just, you know, it's about how you feel inside. Right? You can project your own, you know, vibe. Right? To the outside world and make that your reality. Right? Just be happy. Right? Don't worry. Be happy. However, the Bible's cure for anxiety, fear, worry, and doubt is quite different. It looks without instead of within. It looks to God. If we look at Matthew 6.25 and 34, it says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow. That means they don't have a sewing machine. They're not knitting stuff together, right? Nor do they reap, right? They don't have to go out there and they, they don't, so they don't, they don't sow seeds in the ground. They don't have to sow garments, right? They don't have to sow seeds in the ground and they don't reap. That is, they don't have to go to harvest, right? To pick all this stuff and put it into barns. Uh, nor do they reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who, who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, right? They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing for the gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things but what what's the first thing you need to do every single day you get up in the morning but seek first the kingdom of his kingdom of god and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day hmm, has enough trouble of its own. Ain't that the truth? Why are you sitting up here worrying all night long, looking at the ceiling about what you got to do tomorrow? Didn't you just make it through a day that was already tough enough? Huh? And how did you make it through that day? By God's grace. Hmm? But by the grace of God go I. Every single day, it's God's grace that enables me to get 
from day to day. And guess what? That same God will be there waiting for you in the morning when you open your eyes. He's been sitting there watching you all night long. He never sleeps. He never slumbers, right? He never goes off on a long journey somewhere, right? And you never call him and get a big busy signal, do you? He's always there. The question is not, is the word of God true? It's, do you believe it to be so? Do you believe it? Huh? Do you believe it? If so, act like it. Believe in it. Trust in it. Put all your hopes in it and walk in it, most importantly. When we look at John in closing here, John 16, one of the things that helps us to not be fearful about being in tribulation, even though Jesus shared with the disciples, I give, uh, ask you to, to look at John 16 uh, and read that whole chapter. It talks about what it is that the disciples are going to have to go through, uh, that they would become outcasts from the synagogue, that they would be killed by people who thought that they were doing God a service, right? That they would be sorrowful as a, uh, a result of his death, burial, uh, uh, and, 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 and his subsequent departure, right, uh, back to heaven. Uh, that the Holy Spirit, that the Helper was going to come and give them aid, and that he would convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment that their hearts would rejoice again after his resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, much the same way that a woman rejoices after she gets through the hard part, right, of carrying that baby for nine months, going through labor, right, and, and calling her husband all kinds of stuff, right? Huh? And saying, I'll never do this again in my life, right? Huh? Right? Say it ain't so. But as soon as that baby comes out and they lay that baby on the mother's breast, right? She got a smile on her face, most of them, I think, the ones I've seen anyway, right? And she forgets all about what she just went through, right? Because now she has something that is more joyful, right? And more rewarding and far surpasses any pain or suffering that she just endured, right? And who knows, within a matter of 18 months, she might be ready to have another one. <laughs> Some even do it less than that, right? They do. It's like they forgot all about it. But once you get through that, though, it is the same way. When Christ was resurrected from the grave and they were able to see him walking around for those 40 days, showing himself to the saints, right? And then when the blessed Holy Spirit that was promised came on the day of Pentecost, right? Those men that was hiding in the room, in the upper room while the women was down there, right, at the tomb, right? Now they was out there in front of the synagogue preaching the word of God, told not to do it again, beat, whipped, put in jail. And they said, if you do it again, we're going to do the same thing to you. And where did they go? They went right back out there and kept on preaching, didn't they? Why? Because now they had something to hold on to, didn't they? Right? They had the Holy Spirit. They had the promises of God being fulfilled in their eyes, right? Have you ever had a promise of God fulfilled in your eyes, in your presence? Don't act like you haven't. Because you have. You have. I know I have. God in his word constantly reminds his people from times of old up to the present to fear not. But instead, trust him. Fear can cause people to be paralyzed, immobile, static, unwilling to move forward, unwilling to obey commands, unwilling to lay claim to what has been promised to them by God himself, willing to forfeit even 
that which God has given to them rightfully and that which is rightfully theirs, whether it be life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, whether it be uh, uh, anything that, that, that are inalienable rights, whatever it is that has been given to us by God, right? People are willing to just give that up. But God has given those things to us and no man should be able to take those things from us. Jesus came for us to have faith and freedom and not fear and judgment. God has the cure for anxiety, fear, worry, and doubt, and his name is Jesus. He is the cure, right? He is the medicine from heaven. He is the master physician. There's nothing that ails you that he can't fix. Faith in Jesus empowers us to live without fear, even though we have hard and difficult times and even tribulations. We can take courage because he has overcome the world. Now, if that doesn't give you something to take home with you, I don't know what else I could have said or did, but we want to make sure that you understand that God is bigger than the little insect, right, that has some of my children afraid to go in the basement. Don't give up your birthright. Don't give up what's yours, right? Huh? There's a spider in the basement. When was the last time? It was two weeks ago. What? You done gave up the basement? There's... Finished with the TV and the couch and the blankets and the pillows because you saw what? A spider. Oh, my goodness. A spider. You let the, the spider scare, run you out of the basement and kept you off for two weeks. Mm-mm. What, <laughs> what you need is the same thing you need, whether it's a spider or it's a mountain, right? You need to be able to speak to that thing, right, and say... Be thou cast into the sea, right? So you should be able to cast that mountain into the sea, right? With just a little bit of faith, right? And it don't take a whole lot of faith to pick up your shoe and hit that spider, does it, right? It don't take a whole lot of faith to hit that silverfish down there that's got you running scared, huh? Maybe a little bit bigger than a spider. Got more legs. Maybe a little bit more frightening, but, and if your conscience bothers you about hitting the little spider or the silverfish, why don't you catch him in a cup and take him outside and let him go, right? But guess what? You will not have to give up your basement because of that little thing, right? So we have little things like the insect. We have big things like the mountain, but it's the same thing that will drive them out, right? Faith, the size of a mustard seed. That's it. The, the mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds in nature, and all it takes is a little bit of faith placed in the right object, which is who? God, and you can say to that mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. There will be those uh, who will be up in the front. The elders are going to come and pray with you. Uh, those that want to be prayed for, those that don't know Jesus and the pardon of your sins, you may ask them to uh, give you the plan of salvation if you don't already know, and they can help you through that and assist you in any way. Um, at this time, we're going to go ahead and turn it over to our uh, hospitality uh, and and allow for them to give. Pastor, you have something to say? Okay. All right. All right. God bless you. Keep us in your prayers. Praise the Lord.